This is a conversation with Daniel Rodensky as a part of CODA, the KYHS 2020 Coronavirus Oral History Digital Archive Project. The interviewer is Lily Rodensky and the date is May 16, 2021. Uh, Daniel Rodensky, may we please have your permission to share and include your remarks as part of the CODA project? Yes. Thank you. How did you feel when you first realized the virus would make a significant change to society? Well, at the beginning, I don't think anyone knew what the changes were going to be. At the beginning, you know, we were just very fearful that there was this virulent strain of a virus coming out of China. Uh, we didn't know if it was a natural strain, a weaponized strain. All we knew is we heard about the news about China being under siege, and then we heard about Europe being under siege. So um, that, that was kind of scary. And then, you know, there was this concern how we stop it from coming here. And so I know we, we shut down borders. But before that happened, you know, we kind of here in our house, we kind of thought that it's going to make its way here. And just in case, you know, we treat it like a hurricane where, you know, we bought supplies in advance before the mad rush to the uh, supermarkets and stuff. So we had gotten supplies a few weeks, I think, even before everybody else, uh, just to, um, you know, just to have it stored up because I didn't want to have to deal with the craziness when it did get here. Um, and so when they start shutting everything down, you know, we start hearing about we have two weeks to stop the spread. And that seemed, you know, pretty reasonable to me um, because it was uh, something we were dealing with that we didn't know what it was. So I felt like being cautious was the best way to uh, proceed going forward. What kind of changes to society affected you the most? So uh, one of the changes was, you know, having the kids work from, go to school from home, having my wife and I work from home more often. Um, my wife started working from home exclusively because that's what her work required. I had been partly working from home in my, in my job, um, and when the virus hit, you know, we started doing that a lot more often. Um, so, you know, that to me was just a normal extension of what I was doing. Also, you know, we were sort of locked in the house, you know, so, um, you know, we, all the forms of entertainment, the movie theaters, you know, the restaurants, all those things are shut down, you know, the parks. So we were kind of stuck trying to figure out ways to entertain ourselves here at the house. Were you scared that life would never go back to normal? No, I was never scared that life would never go back to normal. I knew eventually that life would return to normal. Um, you know, I've seen these kind of things in the past and historically, you know, these things in the past. Um, so that didn't scare me. I wasn't concerned about that, but I was kind of shocked that it was taking as long as it did. You know, two weeks became to, lock, to, to stop the spread, became four weeks, became eight weeks, became two months, four months. It just seemed like uh, you know, it was this uh, never-ending stay-at-home order and you know, keep everything like that. And it, at some point, it just became, to me, just is, it almost became like people didn't want it to return to normal. And that was kind of shocking to me. How do you think COVID affected the election? Um, I think COVID had a tremendous effect on the election. I think uh, one party used it to hammer the other party that was in charge. Um, I think that, you know, when this happened, you know, again, we were dealing with an unknown. I think they got, uh, the president got um, criticized unfairly for like locking the borders. I mean, the, to me, we're dealing with a virus that was spreading from country to country. That to me seemed like the most reasonable course of action. And yet, the other party couldn't help but cause xenophobia, which seemed to me just trying to score political points. So that sort of happened right at the very beginning. The other thing that I kind of noticed was that, um, you know, the 
changing the election laws was a was a unnecessary and big deal. I mean, I, I thought that there was this fear created that people couldn't leave the houses and they had you know they couldn't vote, and I thought that was re- actually kind of silly. I thought we had, you know, we had extended voting instead of having two weeks of extended voting, we could have had a month of extended voting. We could have had extended hours until from six o'clock in the morning to midnight. And people could have been given days, okay, you're voting Monday, Tuesday, or whatever, or extended hours. We could have kept people 15 feet apart and had everybody vote in person. So this notion that we had to change the laws, uh, to me, seemed like a, a long-held um, desire of uh, one of the parties so that they could, you know, make, you know, make voting uh, not just not more accessible, but less protected. And you know, the, and this is what ended up happening. We had states that we had states that actually had mail-in voting laws that they've been handling very well for many years. But then we had states that had no idea how to do these mail-in voting laws, and you know they had never done this before. All of a sudden, they had to scramble and make up something. We had states that was we had post office telling people, okay, we need to have your votes here a week before you know mailed in a week before, because it takes us seven days to process them, yet we had you know, the election board saying, okay, but you can mail in your ballot up until the 30 seconds before election ends on election day. When the post office is saying, well, it's gonna take us a week to process that, that doesn't make any sense. So I thought that one party used this um, uh, pandemic to get their wish list of um, how can we make it easier to vote, but not in the easy safeguard way, in an easy unsafeguard way. Did COVID ever alter your political views slash in what way? Yeah, so it was my, what I, on the last question, what I was just answering about the voting laws, uh, this was you know, one great realization that I had that, you know, that this was um, really being used as a political uh, hammer. But the other thing I also noticed is that, you know, the fear of COVID was very politically convenient. You know, we all witnessed the riots and the BLM riots and all these things that were going on. Yet when the riots were going on, you know, people were saying, oh, it's, it's okay to not have social distancing during these, during these protests. I mean, I saw a witness protest in, in, uh, in New York City with 100,000 people. It's okay, and they were saying it's okay not to have social distancing during this because there's a social justice you know, element. However, at the same time, they're saying you and you and you, you can't go to church, you can't go to synagogue because that's dangerous. And I thought, come on, really? That it, it became so apparent to me that this... Um, COVID was being used to uh, uh, to pro- um, to not enforce, but all, but to move forward whatever your agenda was. So if your agenda was you wanted the BLM thing, COVID's fine. If your agenda was um, anti-religious or you know um, something that you didn't agree with, then COVID's a big fear and it became a very convenient you know cru- uh, crutch to use it on when you felt it convenient. How did you feel the medical field handled the overloading of hospitals slash COVID in general? So I think the medical field handled it pretty well, especially when we were dealing with this unknown. I mean, what we did was we, you know, we shut down all the hospitals from elective procedures. You know, we cleared out the hospitals in anticipation of beds coming in. You know, we cleaned out all the ICUs, you know, um, because of this. So what happened was there were beds available. You know, we weren't like some of the other countries that didn't have the technology. We had the ICUs and all these things available. Um, one of the things what people don't talk about and people don't realize is that when this, when this happened initially, the death rates, that meant if you got infected, your chances of dying were much higher than they were even a few months later. More so in, in, a, in some of the 
at-risk groups, you know, people who were at higher risk, who had comorbidities, who were elderly, you know, who had higher death rates in, in, in COVID. What happened was once the medical field figured out that we need to treat this um, without ventilators, um, for example, that's just one example. Uh, at the beginning of the disease, people used to get ventilated. And it turns out that that's actually a very bad thing to do with people who are from COVID. We, you know, we just give them, you know, you just want to give them oxygen. You want to give them, um, you want to rotate them. There are things that the ICU started figuring out and the death rate started going down. There are medications that we were giving that we started using now that were, again, some were politicized and therefore not given, which as it turns out, we're now saying they're fine to give. And in fact, they were helpful. But I thought the medical field, once we figured these things out, the, the death rates dropped precipitously. And so we still had the high infection rates, but getting infected was no longer the big scary thing because the death rates were much less. So, um, so I thought the, hand, the medical field handled it pretty well. I think the politicians handled it very poorly. I think the CDC handled it very poorly. How did COVID affect your social and work life? Well, as I mentioned before, our work life was you know, working from home um, more often. Socially, you know, everyone's afraid to go out. Everyone is afraid to meet each other. Um, you know, it also messed up our family vacation plans several times, you know, um, uh, you know, because we couldn't go to Europe, we couldn't go here in the country. So, yeah, all these things, social work got completely flip-flopped and, and you know, and, or, or just turned off. Our social plans were turned off. How did you feel when you're not able to see your family? So not being able to see the family, yeah, it's not great, but the truth is we also live in a very technological time where we have FaceTime, we have telephones, you know, WhatsApp. So even though we couldn't see each other in person, we could still see each other. I mean, we had a daughter that was overseas out of the country, you know, and, and we could talk to her face to face. So that didn't really have that, didn't have that feeling of great distance like it might have if, you know, we just couldn't speak to each other or see anybody and they were just out of sight, out of mind for a year because they were never really out of sight, out of mind. We can always talk to them. Do you think COVID affected your mental health for the worse or for the better? Um, I, for me personally, I don't think it had much of an effect. I mean, I, um, I, I think it had a bad effect on the kids. I think um, you know, not being able to see the friends, do normal things. I think, uh, I think people being... And I, I see people around me who were very fearful who, I mean, became completely paranoid because they would listen to the news and not, you know, as opposed to reading. And I think that, uh, I mean, I think people trusting the news um, became very paranoid because the news was trying to get you to watch the news and the news sells, you know, stories when, when they have drama. I think me, who was more into the scientific journal and looking at it more from the scientific point of view, um, I never had that great fear, so I don't think it really affected me great, you know, that in that way. I mean, Obviously, it would have been nice to go out to the restaurant and stuff like that, but to me, it was always a temporary thing, so I never felt like this was going to be a long-term mental problem. What were your thoughts when you heard about the vaccine? Uh, no, I was very happy when I heard about the vaccine. I mean, the vaccine was one of the tickets we were going to need to get back to normalcy. So um, I think that the vaccine was something that was a great breakthrough. I think that it's a tremendous... A scientific achievement that they got that thing, you know, um, ramped up and put out as fast as they did, um, and I think that uh, I think it's getting a little uh, misused. And what I mean by that is that the vaccine was really to for people who were at risk, right? I mean, we wanted to stop the spread to protect the people at risk, 
we wanted to create a vaccine to help the people at risk. And it became, you know, you know, we, I see 12-year-old kids now who can't play outside um, who, or, or stop from playing outside because they don't have a vaccine yet. And I go, why do they need a vaccine? So I'm very happy about this vaccine. I think it's a good thing. I think it's being overly used and, and overly leaned upon in society. Like we're forgetting our basic science. And I, what I mean by that is, um, again, I'm a physician. I think that if you have immunity, natural immunity, um, we need to explore the, is it really necessary to give a 12-year-old a vaccine if they already had the, um, the disease? Um, again, it's, it's not a clear thing to me yet, but I'm not rushing. I don't think we should be rushing to vaccinate kids who've had um, the disease already and who've recovered. So um, I think the vaccine's a wonderful, great, great thing for the people who need it. I think it's, you know, I don't think it's anything great, great, great for people who don't need it. I think it's if you don't need it, you probably don't need it. But it all remains to be seen, and my opinion can change on that as I see more data. If you have the virus or know someone who had the virus, can you describe what it felt like, and can you tell us the impact it had on you? So um, I did not have the virus. I had the vaccine. Um, but my family all had the uh, virus. And, you know, again, it's, you know, when, once you know they have it, it's, you know, you, you, you there's a moment of you know scariness, but again, you know, with us, everybody here had you know very minor flu symptoms, uh, which is what the great majority of people have. So it never felt super scary. Um, it, it's uh, in one way it became very liberating because now you know they've had the virus. All right, nothing to worry about anymore. You're recovered. You're immune. Um, so for example, like our daughter in Israel, you know. She would go on the lockdown. Every time somebody in her program would get the virus, everyone would have to lock down so that they wouldn't get the virus. But once she got the virus and she recovered, you know, in a day, and now she never had a lockdown again. Now she had a passport to go around forever. And every time a kid got in the program sick, she was she didn't have to lock down. So it became very freeing, you know. So in other words, having the virus was like getting a vaccine. It kind of freed up your life. Now you don't have to be scared anymore. How did COVID affect your future plans? Uh, well, other than our vacations that got messed up, um, and I see it's affected, um, you know, businesses. I mean, personally, my future plans are, you know, we'll, we'll resume after this temporary hiccup once uh, things sort of normalize. So I don't think it's greatly affected our future plans. In the beginning of the virus, what did you think life would be like in a year? In a year from the beginning of the virus? Yes, like now. So, well, I thought everything would be normal. I, I thought... After two weeks of stop and spread or something, I just thought things would be normalized. I never imagined it would be going on this long. I never imagined that you know, things would be out of control. We're lucky. We live in Florida where, you know, we have been way ahead of the curve in terms of the science, I think, in terms, in terms of uh, how to deal with this virus and how to, how to treat it and how to normalize our lives. So, yeah, I never thought we'd be where we are right now. I, I thought everything would have been absolutely normal by now. If you could tell your past self something that you know about the virus now, what would it be? Oh, uh, well, other than buy toilet paper in that first week, you know, I don't think I would have... Yeah, so other than the toilet paper, you know, we're to worry about it. I mean, one of the things that early on the data was telling us that you need to wipe everything down, you know, you have to take every, every item of food that would get delivered from Amazon or shopping that we'd go to, we have to wipe everything down and... In the, in the uh, garage, we had a wipe-down station and anything we'd bring in, we'd wipe it down because that's what the scientists were telling us. Uh, of course, now we all know that was nonsense. 
So like a lot of the things about the virus we know now are nonsense. So, you know, if I knew what I knew now about the virus, oh, I would, I would have tried to live my life as normally as possible. I don't, I don't think um, I would have had my kids live their life as normally vir- you know, as possible, knowing that this is a virus that, when it affects them, has an incredibly tiny mortality rate. You know, I, I just would have said, why are, we, why are we so afraid? I mean, obviously, I would have been protective of the grandparents, but my you know, but the kids, I, I would have thought, okay, we're overreacting here. Let's, call, let's all calm down. The last thing that I would tell myself, um, if I can go back about the virus, was at the beginning of this, we were all led to believe that this wasn't a regular virus. This was a something special kind of virus, and it didn't obey the regular laws of virology. I would go back and tell myself, don't, don't kid yourself. This is a virus, and it behaves like every other virus that we've ever had. So that when you get it, you're, you know, your immunity, you're protected. And so that's what I kind of tell myself, is that, that this is still a virus. It's, it behaves like all the others.